Promise Note Promises Women in Motion When we talk about performance, we most often first conjure some singular body in motion and that body's consciousness of its movement. We see and are ourselves conscious of some skin, some limbs, some style, some blur of movement, at once artificial and authentic, of performance and performativity itself. But bodies performing are not bodies alone. For who do they perform for and who with? The fourth Master Symposium in the series Women in the Arts and Leadership on October 7th and 8th, 2020 at the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel was dedicated to ideas and iterations of performance and to the way in which its embodied practices, its bodies, are often framed or received by narrow notions, not only of gender, race, class, geography, technology and temporality, but of what performance itself means and entails. A body in motion, for example. Whose body, though? And what kind of movement? Movement, indeed, is always both, suggesting something singular, a body and tender, private effort, and something collective. Presence, proximity, voice, movement and performative relations are the tools by which many contemporary artists in unprecedented ways continue to explore how to create equitable space for our ever-regulated, duly delimited bodies. This symposium serves those practices, examining how performances has become the means by which so many artists and thinkers reflect on and denounce political systems that foster inequity, violence, and binary relations at their core. Our various guests made explicit this set of relations. Between singularity and collectivity, authenticity and performativity, a language of narrativity, both visual and linguistic, movement both, physical and intellectual, the complicated desire to perform for others and with others, and to read such performances correctly, was a recurring idea and impulse of the Women in Motion Symposium as it continued with performances, conversations, screenings and readings by artists, thinkers, poets, filmmakers, composers and teachers. Performers all, including Kat Anderson, Julieta Aranda, Barbara Casavecchia, Mayra Rodriguez Castro, Pan De Jing, Dorota Gaveda, and Egle Kulpokaite, Ingela Iermann, Pauline Curnier Jardin, Banu Kapil, Lynn Kwasi, Isabel Lewis, Tessa Mars, Sonia Fernandez Pan, Sadie Plant, and Martina-Sophie Wildberger. Screamers Featuring Sonia Fernandez-Pan, Martina-Sophie Wildberger and Barbara Casavecchia. When I was dancing, it was such a working-class male toxic environment, but I felt so safe. Sometimes you feel very safe. It's like the other day in Berlin, we did a feminist walk, and a girl so, uh, told to me, 
like, you know, I really feel safe in Berlin in this Kneipe bar that is full of men, but the owner is a woman and she's running the bar. And when I go there, she looks, she stares at me, I look at her, she's protecting me. So even the atmosphere is um, theoretically toxic, I feel. And I was thinking about the techno and Mackenzie Park in the conversation. She was telling this thing of, <laughs> I really like this environment. Uh, it's changing now, but it was very different 20 years ago when I was one of the few women there and I had dreadlocks, very terrible, and <laughs> I have to say that also. <laughs> and I was doing a PhD and I got so crazy about the rave culture and rave meant very trashy free parties in landscapes and money was not an issue. I think the new generations are always trying to take profit from parties. I mean, it was about losing money, losing neurons, losing energy, and it was also connected to the factory thing of working class people working in factories and raving during the weekend and this restless body that is dancing nonstop. So I say that because I was reading, I was doing a PhD and my PhD was, there is so much you in your writing, you have to delete yourself from your writing. I was told that and I was like, I cannot. So, and I'm taking so much space. I was reading a lot, I, I, I couldn't have my own ideas and I have to look for philosophers, male, having those ideas so I have to connect. And I was doing what Tara Rogers critics in her book, I was doing exactly that. So yeah, kind of linking rave culture with futurism and John Cage. And my experience was totally different and I felt this disconnection that people writing about dancing, they, they never dance. It's like there are a lot of, now we have, we talk a lot about the body in new materialism and, but I feel, I feel those are discourses on the body, but the writing body is not there. Who is writing that text? Where are you? No, so the body, and we have a lot of metaphors like writing for the gods or no, but where are, where are the gods? Um, so I, I have this tendency of theorizing everything I do. It's like my self-therapy, because I don't pay external therapies. I should do that soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> In Valencia, I started dancing, and this is uh, uh, this race. You don't thing. know it. The reason why she's mentioning Valencia is because in the 90s, it was the cut route, La Ruta del Bacalao, so the heaviest techno drug. Yeah. In Belgium, they have the same. Because when you watch documentaries about Belgium, we were the only ones having these crazy weekends. You take a bar, a car, you go there, there, there. And I was thinking, well, Spain also had that. Also in Frankfurt, in, there is a lot of talk about the Berlin techno, but the Frankfurt scene was very strong as well. So, but yeah, this, but this Val Valencia is a thing. In, in, in Spain, now the intellectual world, I mean, I grew up watching TV like uh, those young people taking drugs and dying, taking a car and dying, and I was scared of the nightlife. It was such a promotion, and also women being raped through doing hijacking. That and in our country, my country doing that. I mean, I I was totally it was prohibited for me, like having a female body to go to a road and to do that. Don't do that, and then you go to Germany. Let's do that. <laughs> <It's like laughs> No, so no, this, this, I mean, I, I have been invited recently by La Casa Entendida together with Carolina Jimenez to do a project from techno, I say now, and it's a dream and it's a nightmare in the way that I wonder what can philosophy can bring to, 
to, to dancing because dancing is about taking your ego to put your ego in the wardrobe. It doesn't matter who I am. It matters, it's just the body presence there that is important. But then because this philosophical addiction, philosophy is like a drug. <laughs> well, it's only for you, I think, not that they have it. It's not that everyone, they don't generalize. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I tend to generalize my personal experience as well. But yeah, I mean, this, this movement. But also I have this with philosophy or when, yeah, I like a lot Rosy Braidotti because when I watch her in, I have this body reaction that the body reactions we have to theory because it's like the theory was sit in your body before knowing it. I don't know how to and they are like doing that. <laughs> Actually, I think it's like maybe we maybe we should talk about the body for a second and talk about about the body in this in okay, this moment. We, could, we no? could also open if somebody wants to participate. It's the end of the yeah. day, no? Yeah. So if somebody feels like making questions about drugs, uh, dancing, Valencia, <laughs> poetry, uh, screaming, or archive, I think feel free. So I would like to ask the medium question, not because I'm obsessed with medium specificity, but I think the symposium a little bit asks for it. Um, um, so you've assembled like really amazing artists with a great breadth of uh, approaches to performance and to performativity from like dance, music, to reading, even painting. and. Um, so maybe, um, yeah, the question is, do you think there's something specific to performance and performativity um, in the question of gender and colonialism? Yes. Yes. I think that, that um, yeah, because as we were saying, I think we don't really come from a transgressive substance, but from a substance order order in languages, order in institutions, order in collections, order in medium, order in teachers, order in studios. Um, like everything also found its place, order in class. And order in class, the collection is order in class, the taste is order in class, um, the practice is order in class. And it's so interesting that we so few times have a chance to reprogram that properly or talk about the, the, what is reprogramming us from the inside, not, not, you know, and the only word that we normally people use for it is one that I really don't agree, which is the experimental. But it, the experimental has nothing to do with the orders of um, dialectical orders, the orders of this separation in between, um, yeah, the cart like the Cartesian wall, the wall that make it really felt that they needed to expand, to conquer and to kill in order to survive. So this can really not be subverted and transformed by the experimental. Um, and it has also nothing to do with an industrial world such as innovation. So then I think a much humble exercise, one that is kind of having its origin in the artistic practice in itself offers much more, which is performance. Because whatever the word means, at the end, 
it gives us the possibility of like not creating from a new but dynamizing ener energies, languages, but also problems, circumstances that create conditions of inequality, conditions of pain, conditions of um, oppression, and, and therefore I think that there we have um, like a source, if you want, but one that is not linear, is not a source coming from an origin and giving it to others, like not a source like oil, not a source in that sense, but, but a source in the sense that it's a, it produces, let's say, a circularity like rain does with the ocean and with the atmosphere, with, this, with the system of art and artists. And in that sense, in its humbleness, um, for me, it offers the wall. It really, it really is a ground where other media can even look at it at themselves and, and, and get something out of this exercise of um, becoming a different organ. Because at the end, you don't want to see with your eyes. You don't want to listen with your ears. You don't want to touch with your hands. Not only that, not only that. Uh, it's not your body the only body. And it's also, you don't want to be defined by those enclosures. And it's exactly in that moment that performance becomes really productive. And yes, I think that it, it is related to all these issues and therefore is immensely biopolitical um, in, a, in a philosophical way um, so that Sonia can go and take it to the club. <laughs> I'm thinking about the space and where the space happens or architecture happens or how the space also shape these, these bodies that are being invoked and the bodies that are present. So I don't know if this, like how do you see your practice in order to conf configure this more public space or more real shared space. We also, Ingela and and they were talking about how they, um, well, she was talking about a, a, a new urban uh, construction parade. So this was kind of an input to construct that, that, that new place. And Pan, she was also talking about how the buildings and that space uh, establish a direct relationship with the body. And I don't know how you see it, like in the opposite direction, or at least we saw you today here perform in a very like kind of clean space. But I don't know what happens when you take this out to the to the real or, or to the public space, public sphere. Huh, yeah, we have not taken this performance to the public space. I'm not sure if it's yet or if you want to do that or if you want to ask the questions we ask um, and create the space within any existing space. So because the space is also, of course, so much linked to the, to the moment that it becomes this uh, interconnected um, temporal space. And for us, it's also important that it has, in a way, a delimitation to be in the same space and not be in a space that is, is endless. But the aim is to create this space together, which, of course, I have no 
feeling yet about what you saw because it's the first time I actually sit here and look at you know this space with the chairs and it becomes something totally different but um, I think I'm more interested in this performance going to different uh, cultures in a way also and see how it triggers different uh, different momentums. We did it in Lausanne in Arsenic on Friday this performance and uh, we talked with uh, an Italian curator and then she's like yeah and she talked about the whole importance of course of screaming it Italian culture and she's like you should definitely go also now with the actual political climate to Italy and I used to be at Istituto Svizzero two years ago I think and so this is also like spaces I would love um, to explore with the openness and the, the meaning that can also <coughs> change in a way and create this 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 um, vocal space. I think that one of the reasons why I also wanted to speak about Tomboys Don't Cry and Daphne's works and everything is that, in fact, it happens a lot in the public space. I mean, that longing for being in public space in a given way, which is really not asking too much permission for being there in a given way. and and moving out of certain safe areas is also what I'm also super interested in her way of working. I mean, not giving up on the idea that you can work in one place, but also in another one. And if there's not room there, you can make room for it and, and expand it in, in very different ways. So that's why her capacity of building communities also around difficult positions I think is super interesting to me. I mean, how do you use music to talk about gender? How do you use gender to talk about techno? <laughs> to use and, and so forth. And how you don't need each time to label it in a given way, just in order to understand it somehow. And also about what you were saying before, I think that one of the sort of really immediate feelings I had is that it's all taboo. I mean, a lot of your work in there, in that moment, I mean, you're not really allowed to scream in public. You're not really allowed to choke in public. You're not really allowed to laugh too high in public or in public space. Or, I mean, there's a massive normativity around how you, you're supposed to move your body in public space and also how to I mean, you're supposed to perform gender <laughs> in public space because, I mean, who's using a certain pitch and who's allowed to use another one and how you use voice and how all of that is brought into play. And are you also interested in, in, in exploring that? Um, it's something we explore in the performance, who is saying what to whom, how and which which space does it give you or which space doesn't it give you or which what is allowed, what isn't allowed. And for us, I mean, um, for me, it has something extremely troubling to work with screaming, you know, because um, where, of course, as you said, you're not allowed to scream or I don't scream or I don't, how do you react to certain, um, to certain moments? How is it empowering? Is it oppressive? Is it like it, it goes through all this kind of, um, for me, it goes through all these kind of uh, moments in the performance and also this space of, I mean, screaming. We have, n we have never screamed before, and then we decided we will um, do this. And 
at the beginning, I mean, I wasn't able to, I was able to do like technically three screams and then you get, and then we, I didn't have a voice anymore. And now uh, like as we go on, it's kind of this practice of screaming. And then we were of course also interested in this scream um, uh, therapy that was, that uh, John Lennon, for example, practiced. The primal scream. Primal scream, yeah. and. Um, um, how in this very meditative way to to uh, get rid of um, get uh, yeah I mean maybe it's a therapy that doesn't <laughs> cost anything in Berlin or um, how to go through this but it's something you sh of course it's also linked to you shouldn't do you're not allowed to do you do where do you do it is it in pro public in private um, how yeah, do you relate? It depends on the cultures. In Italy you do it a lot. <laughs> I think in, in other places you do it very differently which is also super interesting. I mean what are you allowed to do culturally? I mean what does screaming mean? What do you convey with it and how acceptable it is or um, I mean, in, in Galicia, where we come from, there is a tradition of the aturusho, but it's, I mean, it's a score somehow. No, there is this public thing, and the singer screams, and then the audience take it. But my friends were doing that, going to the landscape just to scream. But when you're a woman, my male friends, you are this hysterical, no? So when you're, when you're screaming, having a female, uh, being read as a female body, no, it goes immediately into the hysterical thing that I hate it so much. I have a very loud voice. But, yeah, also how we have historically trained to really deprecate this female pitch. No, and, can, and Carson tells this brilliantly in her book, The Gender of Sound or Gender of Voice, I don't remember. No, I'm struggling a lot when doing podcasts and the person has this pitch that is so... Mm, and thinking all the ideology and something that I consider very immediate. Like, no, I have an organic uh, rejection to that. And it's these ancestors that I didn't choose and I don't want them. So yeah. I like it a lot, these, uh, not choosing ancestors that yeah. you can choose, but then you have the ones that are chasing you and you don't want them. <laughs> like misogyny, racism, <laughs> classes. <laughs> No, and with with the boys, I I remember that I don't like what I don't like the voices that are this speech that connects to the hysterical immediately. Yeah, and I think also I mean in when Alejandra was doing it, I mean it was it had was also in a sort of comment on this um, connotation, of course, of of female voice. I mean, also, I mean, very interested in this phenomena that was called um, vocal fry. I don't know if you you know it. It's um, Kim Kardashian talks all the time in like, yeah, yeah, it's really. So where you kind of take, at the end of the sentence, you in American English, and it has been going from her to all, like to South Korea, and it has, is everywhere, where you, um, especially female voices, they um, take out the, 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 the sound part of it, and you arrive in kind of this. Uh, you take out the sound, and every, like the, the frequency is much lower. So you have this this uh, this phenomenon is super interesting because um, female and male voices they don't they they go into the same frequency, starting from a different um, uh, um, frequency at, at the beginning, where you can't um, 
distinguish gender anymore. And um, I think it's interesting phenomena going around the globe. Uh, in every language, it comes as a, a vocal phenomena. And it has been a, like a big debate if it's, if it's a feminist statement or if it's um, the opposite. And it's a discussion that uh, still, still goes on in kind of finding a closer way in, in sounds. And I always also think of these kind of uh, moments. In electronic music, the gender exists in the way in Stonic Oaks, in this amazing artwork that is called Micro House that I could see in the Berlin Biennial. And I was that, the tech house, there is this oh, tech house, because connects, the house connects much more with the symbolic female sphere. And the techno is this strong, techy male thing. So also in, in the something as supposedly ungender like music styles, no? There is this gender division into them, and there is this misogynist approach to tech house that is like, it's not even tech, no, it's not house, no? So how the gender works, even in the non-human things, even they are made by humans. Some performances went well, Afterwards, the curator ordered a weak fish, a cod, and we ate it in silence in the cafeteria of the art museum, clicking our glasses of cold white wine above the plates. It is perhaps more accurate to say that I felt very little, having trained myself to be present during the performance, acutely so, but afterwards to forget it. Why? Some performances went poorly, and afterwards, for weeks, I could not rid myself of excruciating shame. I could compile this talk, which I cannot give in person, and which might instead be printed out and taped to the bathroom walls of the venue in which this symposium is taking place, from the notes I kept after both kinds of performances, the performances that went well, the performances that did not go well. One, there's a kind of lag or net or interval between two kinds of very strong impressions. The experience of performance is one thing, but there is another fleeting but also eternal experience that comes immediately afterwards. What is happening in the moments that a work is not received or is received in a different time to the one in which it was made? Is the energy of a sickening moment, the moment that a performance falls flat, so dissimilar to the life-bringing or life-supporting energies that are, so often, hallmarks of cultural or literary expression? Is the moment that shame blooms crucial, lexical, in another way? I am curious about the courage it takes to write again after so many years and so many impacts of various kinds. I am curious about performance as a mode of sacrifice. Imagine the cobalt sand of a volcanic beach. You enter the broiling and brimming water. Instantly, the jade bracelet, so recently given to you as a gift, is ripped off your body, like that. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, and Institut du Souche a joint venture with Krajina Kulczyk and ArtStations Foundation CH. 
The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop, and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science, and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch. That's dertank.ch. Or request information or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Institut du Souche is part of Museum Souche, an initiative by Art Stations Foundation CH and Grazina Kulczyk. More information can be found on museumsouche.ch. That's museumsouche.ch. Moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Research assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and voiceover Elena Ziesa. Music Niklas Kammermeier. Press and Communication Anna Franke. Technical Support Konrad Siegel, Christina Pavlovich, Vitals Brun, Chris Handberg, Steven Schoch and Esther Hunziger. Copyright by Institut Kunst, HGK, FHNW and Institut du Souche, Art Stations Foundation CH 2021.